everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. and welcome to a new episode of my K-drama show. This week I am going to be talking to you guys about a show called The Devil Judge uh, and in Korean it's Akma Pansa. Uh, so this drama is, so Devil Judge is a 16 episode, I want to say social dystopian thriller with, I think, a little bit of melodrama thrown in there at the end. Um, This K-drama came out in 2021, so super recent as I record this. Um, Overall thoughts? Very stylish. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This is like, this is a high concept show. I think it's so interesting. I feel like I feel like I spent a lot of the time that I wasn't watching it thinking about some of the very scary ideas and possibilities that it was throwing around, Um, particularly, I think, in terms of the world building of this show were like, wow, it really made me think. And it also had way too many kind of scary parallels to, I think, the world that we live in and the age that we're experiencing. But this scary world is, you know, it's set in a career of the slight future. So nothing particularly futuristic about the world or the way it looks, but very like frighteningly real sort of possibilities in terms of like, you know, a... I guess an epidemic that has caused a lot of smaller businesses to go bust and um, poverty and a huge sort of social disparity between, you know, the rich and the poor and, I don't know, some scary live television shit thrown in there for good measure. I think this is such a fascinating show and I think it's probably, it's very interesting to me as well, like, um, I guess I talk about maybe the development of K-dramas over the time that I've been watching them. And the more, I want to say, risk-taking, unique and original things that keep coming out. And that's not to say that I do not like like a bit of tropey, you know, same, same goodness. Like, I am so here for... You know, I admit it, like some of the recycled plots, um, because they're not recycled plots, they're just beautiful tropes thrown in there because I love those tropes. 
So I'm never going to complain about watching, you know, the 10th romance drama in a row that features, you know, very similar sort of plot beats or framework or, you know, romance setup. I love that shit. I love it so much. <laughs> but I also am very interested by shows like Devil Judge, which feel very different. Like this is still a K-drama, of course, but it's... It's got a very unique idea and I think a very fascinating world that I think it builds. It's also, I have to say, the most fucking stylish looking show, like the beginning, the opening of this show. I think I just didn't expect it. Um, I just turned on the first episode and I was like, holy shit, like, what is this? The music, the way it looks, the saturation, like this neon saturation, the camera work, just the way the world looks like it opens basically with, you know, a cool looking sports car driving through this slight future career. And it is stylish. The only word I can think of is just fucking stylish. It's amazing. So it sucks you in straight away. So that's kind of my overall feeling. I do feel like it's Look, there's some bonkers stuff in here as well. It totally is. I almost felt like the end got a little bit like mukjang, like like full on crazy stuff. But I didn't mind any of it. Um, and I think I overall found the ideas and concepts and twists fascinating in this. Um, very interesting characters as well, like really towing that line between being a good dude or being a very, very, very bad dude. Uh, so that's kind of, I guess, overview of Devil Judge, a 16 episode. Um, I think it's a thriller from 2021. So why I watched this one was actually, so this was a K-drama club watch for me, uh, which just means that I watch shows in, you know, a very separate place to my friend Lizzie. And then we have a little chat over the internet about it. Um, and we picked this one, um, I think just, we were, actually, I think we were kind of looking for a serious crime show. We try and like really, you know, throw up different genres. So we try and go something quite different to, you know, the last sort of K-drama club drama that we watched. And the one we watched before this was Huayugi or the Korean Odyssey, which is, you know, sweeping fantasy romance. So we were actually trying to go like full gritty crime, real world stuff, um, which is what I actually thought this show was. Um, and then we read the synopsis and I was just like, what the fuck? I had no idea that this show was about what it's about at all. And the whole idea of it being this like slight future set dystopia and like social dystopia, not like end of the world dystopia, but you know, a world that is is kind of heading that way, potentially, um, really fascinated me. So we decided to check it out. And I'm very, very, very glad that we did. Um, because, yeah, this one's just concept wise, so interesting. It really gave me a lot to think about, I think. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about the casting. This one was an interesting one for me. So Devil Judge stars, uh, kind of has a trio as the main ones, um, but definitely there's one main star and that is uh, a character played by the actor Jisong. So Jisong, this is, <laughs> Jisong is a massive actor, right? He's super, super famous. He's in a lot of very, uh, you know, very popular dramas. This is the first time I have ever seen him in a show, ever. Um, I'm very familiar with him just from seeing him all over the internet, I guess, and the kind of, you know, the casting blogs and stuff that I follow. Um, but I, yeah, this is my first experience with Jisong and he's great. He is 
so good in this. Like he, his, his character is the main character and he's a judge called Kung Johan. And Johan is like really interesting. Um, you spend the entire drama trying to figure out whether this guy is just an anti-hero who is trying to do the right thing, but, you know, with kind of shit methods, or if he is like an actual, <laughs> like terrible, terrible demon person who's really out to destroy everything. Like it's really hard for a lot of the drama to understand what he is up to and what he wants. And I loved that. I think one of my favorite things about the show was how murky this character's history, feelings and wants are. Like you really don't know what his goals are and you feel, you know, the drama did this great job, I think, of getting you on his side one moment and then completely like staring aghast at whatever it is that he's just done that is absolutely unethical and horrifying. So I really, really enjoyed having a character like that as our solid main character. Um, and he's, you know, he's one of the characters that you care the most about, even though like, oh, I was not on board for what this dude was up to at all. Oh my gosh. So Jisong is very, very good in this. Um, he's also very pretty, like goodness, like cheekbones and little tulip lips. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, sounds weird, but really looks very good on him. <laughs> um, so the f sort of female lead, like, um, it's not really, like, there's no, like, you know, kind of typical male lead, female lead, second male lead, none of that kind of stuff. Um, so the, I guess the, the lead actress in this drama is um, Kim Min Jong. And Kim Min Jong is in Man to Man. She plays the lead, female lead in that. And she's also in Mr. Sunshine, where she plays... The fantastic hotel owner who hangs around with Gudong Mei. Um, I really loved her in Mr. Sunshine. She was amazing. Um, in this drama, she plays a very interesting and mysterious character called Sona. And I want to say that she, I just like for the first half of this drama, she's like fucking barely in the drama. But the drama clearly has like, you know, a little opening section where it, you know, talks about its cast or, you know, brings up the cast stuff. Um, and she's so prominent in that. And I knew from like all the, I guess, movie uh, drama posters and stuff that I'd seen. That she was billed as, you know, a main character, potentially even bigger than the other dude who's in this, who's sort of a, you know, second build male actor. Like she was supposed to be a big character and then she was hardly in it for the first half. But then <laughs> when she comes into it proper and starts taking on a lead role, like, whoa, you notice her. Um, her character is bonkers like absolutely bonkers but also so broken and damaged to the point that she is terrifyingly unpredictable and she's so similar to Johan a uh, Johan in some ways in that whole like you know why what are they up to and how deep and dark do their kind of goals go and how far are they willing to go but i think sona is sort of this representation of maybe what johan could have been i don't even know she goes super far like she's <laughs> she's not a good person um but incredible charismatic performance by kim min jong i felt like when she was on screen I don't know, like, she's pretty compelling. I don't think I could look away. She's very good. 
Uh, so the next uh, kind of big major character in the drama uh, is played by the actor Jin Yong. And Jin Yong is a K-pop. Uh, I can't remember what band he's in because I don't know so much about K-pop, even though I know a lot of listeners will. Um, my understanding around Jin Yong is that he is like super, super beloved, like very famous as a K-pop dude um, and really, really loved. And it's he so he's been in um, it's called He's Psychometric was a drama that he starred in. And I'm not sure was that his first drama, I think. And since then, I think that he I think he's been picking really interesting roles. Like he hasn't just gone in for like straight up sort of flower boy rom-com type things. I think he's picking really interesting kind of like acting career making sort of turns is how I'm looking at it. So yeah, I think he's quite interesting with the kind of roles that he's gravitating towards. Um, and I thought he was very good in this. I do feel like he's really good, but he's also like he's kind of the audience's eyes into the world. You know, he's the fresh faced, young, idealistic judge. And we're sort of on his side throughout the whole drama. He's basically the only one who, you know, is a good person, I suppose, although he struggles with some stuff later on. Um, but I think because of that, He's certainly good and interesting and very likable, but he doesn't have uh, just like uh, when he's up against characters like Kim Min Jong's, you know, intensely bonkers, terrifying director woman and, you know, uh, Ji Song's devil judge. Like it's a bit hard, I think, to have as much presence and weight in in a show like this as huge characters like like those ones do have. Um, in saying that, I thought he was very good in this and he's he is very likable. I suppose he's kind of the solid heart, you know, the warm solid heart of a show with some very scary people in it. Um, so there's another character played by the actress Park Yu-yong um, and Park Yu-yong is great. She played the second female lead in It's Okay to Not Be Okay. She played the kind of um, cool rock chick in Sweet Home, um, which was a big turning point for me actually seeing her in Sweet Home was when I started to be like, I love her. She's amazing. She also played um, a kind of a side character in Nokdu Flower. Um, and she's really good. I feel like she's very up and coming and she's got a lead role um, as I record this that is, I think, airing or just finished, something like that. Uh, Dali and Cocky Prince. Um, so that's a rom-com. So she's certainly, you know, this, this kind of a minor side role for her, but she's certainly going to, you know, get lead roles and be quite big, I think. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other people in this um, that I probably won't go into. I'll just talk about them as they come up. Although maybe I'm chatting about the setup if they do come up. Um, but everyone was great. Um, and a lot of familiar faces in here, um, for sure, that I've seen in loads of other dramas. Um, so that's the casting. Um, so should you watch Devil Judge? Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, like, you know, if you are only down for, you know, if you're in the mood for only tropey rom-com kind of stuff, then this might not be quite right. Um, but I think that if you are looking for a thriller or something that is a little bit darker and if you're in the mood to, I don't know, I feel like this is a really good one in, in a lot of ways because it 
yes, it's dark and gritty, but it has this heightened reality to it where even though there's parallels to the real world, it's still not real. Like there's still a, it's not fantasy as in magic, but there's like a a made up aspect to, I think, the bombasticness of the world and the things that happen that do make you think this isn't, you know, it isn't completely real and gritty, even though there is a lot of stuff that you're like, ooh, that's scarily feels like it could be a true thing or, or will be a true thing. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is you, if you're the kind of maybe viewer who doesn't so much go for the really intensely gritty like OCN serial drama stuff, because that's a bit too like squicky or not your thing, um, but you still would like to kind of delve into something a bit darker, then this one I think is almost like a middle ground just because it does have that heightened reality and almost melodrama, I think, towards the end that it's still like a really gritty dark thriller but just not quite to those squicky realistic like you know gross (laughs) kind of ways that some of the more serious OCN sort of uh, detective stuff has which in saying that I'm not dissing that stuff I fucking love that stuff and lately that's all I want to watch which is kind of interesting um so yeah uh, Devil Judge I reckon you should give it a go if any of that sounded like your thing I think it's worth your time I think um I think it's really clever and I think it's unique and I like it. for me it wasn't completely perfect but I've never seen anything like it and I really really liked kind of that feeling I suppose of really I've never seen anything like it it felt unique it was compelling the characters were interesting um so yeah I think it's worth your time all right so I'll get a little bit now into the setup of Devil Judge All right, so I'm going to try and tell you a little bit of the setup of Devil Judge. Um, hopefully I won't go in too deep because there's a lot, like there's a lot. This is a very twisty, it's a very plotty sort of drama. There's a lot going on um, with multiple characters. Um, but the general gist is that, you know, this world is the very slight future in Korea. Like I said, there's been some sort of, you know, virus. I think it's been going for two years. They never sort of state what it is, but, you know, we can all imagine, <laughs> I think. Um, and because of that, you know, the economy has crashed. All the sort of smaller independent businesses have gone under, which means there's more people homeless on the streets. There's more people living in poverty. A lot of these people are, you know, protesting, you know, saying the government hasn't handled things well. They're not doing a good enough job. Um, there's a lot of anger, I suppose. It seems like there's a big divide now, like a bigger divide between the rich and the poor, because I'm kind of getting the impression that the middle classes have sort of sunk down and don't quite exist anymore. Um, The president, we find out, is this uh, horrible character, but very interesting, very shouty and very intensely, you know, screamy, screechy, but also interesting, I want to say, did make me think a lot. Um, so who's this? I'll just try and find this dude's little face. Who was he? Can't see him. Anyway, he's this awful dude. I won't even bother finding the actor because I can't find his little face. Um, but basically, I feel that he was like a Donald Trump sort of like I feel like someone sort of taken some really loud aspects of Donald Trump's personality and policy, I want to say, and sort of created this guy. So we find out throughout the course of the drama that this president, you know, like he used to be 
an actor, <laughs> and he's sort of been used as a puppet president for a group of rich people, but he's also, you know, he's got a taste of power and he's got his own ideas, like particularly around, you know, non-Korean workers coming into the country and he's inciting, you know, his followers, like, cause he has like a live YouTube thing, which reminds me a lot of, you know, I guess that whole the way that politicians now can talk directly to their fans, basically, over things like Twitter. And it's this kind of weird breakdown of, you know, it's not how it used to be, I suppose, this direct communication. And he's inciting a lot of, you know, his fans um, to, to violence in the drama and lots of scary kind of but very interesting kind of commentary stuff where you're like, what? You know, it's crazy, but it doesn't feel that unrealistic because, you know, potentially we've seen that stuff in the world before, even though this is a slightly different version of it. Um, so basically we get the impression that the, you know, the people in power are all very corrupt. The drama opens with this young guy. So this is Jin Yong's character, Kim Gaon. So Gaon is from a poor family. His parents have died tragically when he was a teen and he's from a very like slummy neighborhood, but he's sort of been mentored by an older judge and helped and obviously, you know, kind of been... Yeah, just mentored, I suppose, to finally gain a position as a judge. So he's been to universities, kind of got out of his situation, and he's got a job as a judge, I suppose. And because his mentor loves him so much, and the mentor is played by very familiar K-drama man face, An Nesung is the actor's name, who's in everything. Um, one of those old dudes in every historical drama ever. Um, and he particularly wants to place Gaon, who I might add Gaon being like the youngest judge ever in humanity, I'm sure. Like this guy looks like he's what, 22? Can you even be a judge when you're 22? I don't know. Apparently in future dystopian social career, you can. Uh, so why not? It's not the weirdest thing I was <laughs> kind of shown in this drama. So I think it's fine. Um, so Garland's mentor basically says that, you know, the, the Supreme Court is creating a live court. So they are going to you know, have sort of almost a celebrity judge, but he's going to be a real judge. And he's this judge that already is very popular with the people. Like the people really love him because he's got a very hard stance on, you know, I guess he's very like justice no matter what. So even if very rich, corrupt people come into his courtroom, this judge is still, you know, he's he's doing what the people want, which is sending, you know, actually punishing these people and maybe, you know, giving them jail sentences or doing whatever, but in a way that I guess is maybe not happening so much in this very corrupt world. So he's very beloved. And this, you know, this big famous celebrity judge, of course, is played by Jisong. And this is our main character, Devil Judge. Uh, he's not really a devil, but he is a judge. And his name in the in the show is Johan. So Gaon, so Johan is going to head up this live court, which is basically a real-time televised court, which, you know, that's a real thing, right? I'm pretty sure that's a thing. I think I've seen a show like that. Um, and he's going to pick whatever cases he wants to work on. And there's going to be like an app and the people can sort of give their opinions on what they think. And I think the whole thing, you know, like, Johan is, is, you know, we see a scene with him where he's obviously taking it very seriously. He's like, this isn't a celebrity thing. This is a real courtroom and I'm going to do it like it's a real courtroom. But I think maybe the reason it's it's happening is because they're, and the reason they picked this this judge that the people like is because the government, 
the people are angry. They're really, really angry. And I think that it's my impression was that it's a bit of like a, a PR move to try and you know, try and highlight the fact that, no, the government's still doing well, like we're still being good and doing what we're meant to and please people stop being so angry at the government, the current, you know, party in power or whatever. Um, And I guess Johan is sort of supposed to be a figurehead of this, but of course no one knows that he is the biggest loose cannon in the whole world and they're all going to regret this so badly. Um, So anyway, this old mentor dude who's like, you know, a Supreme Court judge or whatever the fuck is like, hey, young man, go on, you need to have a judge job and I've got you this judge job and it's as, you know, devil judge's right-hand judge in his, you know, upcoming live court program because um you know johan devil judge is he's the main judge of the show he's the leading judge but he's going to have two like young judges next to him on either side to kind of help him with you know all the i don't know judge work i don't know how it works but also it's interesting because garon kind of goes in and he gets the impression that his mentor's kind of saying i hate this live court i think it's a farce i think that johan devil judge is terrible and not a good dude and I want someone on the ground to keep an eye on things and maybe you know control things a little bit but also you know it's kind of there like maybe report back to me on on what you find out about this like loose cannon of a judge Johan and Garwin goes in and he also meets his other co-judge who's this young woman called Jinju uh, played by an actress called Kim Dae-kyung. So Jinju is similar to Gaon in that she comes from a very poor background. She's worked really hard to get where she is. She really, you know, she's quite idealistic in the same way as him, but she's also a little bit less, I want to say, naive or she's more willing to embrace some of the realities of their situation in that she meets Gao and immediately she's like, right, you're young, you're good looking. I'm young and good looking. We've been picked so we can be, you know, faces on this court show. And I was like, yeah, she, she's got a point. Like she knows what's what, like it is a celebrity show. That's why these young, good looking judges have all been picked, um, you know, to kind of stand behind Johan, who of course is also very good looking. Um, but that, I don't think that's why he got picked. He got picked because he's popular and the people love him. And so Gaon immediately meets Johan um, and Gaon is, he's just so suspicious, I think. He doesn't know whether any of this is good. He doesn't know what kind of person Johan is. He, it's very interesting and it's, I mean, I feel like there's almost a kind of, not really cat and mouse thing because you never know, like Gaon's sort of like, I think he feels like he's in control trying to like poke at Johan and figure out what's going on with Johan. But Johan is like, he's, he's actually the one who's in control and he's a complete enigma at the start of the drama. Like you have no idea what's going on with this guy or what he wants or what he's after. But I think you realize pretty quickly that he is after something, that he wants something, but you really do not know what it could be. And there's these really interesting moments where they're sort of almost bonding, I think, and Garon might, you know, go into the live court and through whatever the case is, he kind of, I think, grows to respect Johan and Johan's like working really hard to, you know, take down criminals, basically, no matter how rich and powerful they are. But then he might go too far and Garon will be completely horrified at something that Johan has done. But then they'll sort of be bonding again and like getting to know each other and Garon will be starting to get 
kind of like sorry for Johan. And then the next second he's like, wait, did Johan actually murder his older brother to take over, you know, this big Gothic mansion and become really rich? Like, so it's just, it's very, very interesting, this back and forth between these two men. And it feels like, I know it's almost like a game of sub subterfuge. Is that the right word between them? But like this, this push and pull of, I don't know. I, I, I really liked it. This slow reveal of Johan in layers. But then like the thing I loved so much about this drama is you get to a point where you feel like you feel you feel like you're a bit more solid in his character. I remember there was a moment where I, for ages I'd be like, is he really bad? Is he, is he OK? Like, did he kill his brother? Did he not kill his brother? And then you get to a point where I was like, nah, he didn't kill his brother. He's a really good guy. He's got like he's doing something, but I'm not really sure of what it is. But I think that he isn't into he doesn't like all these like rich, corrupt people and he's kind of part of this circle you know he goes and hangs out with them at fancy events and then so you but I was kind of like I think he doesn't like these people and then the next thing is he's like going to get Garon he puts Garon in like a fancy suit and he brings him to one of these you know big ritzy kind of you know fundraising dinners or whatever that the these rich people all go to and when he's there he he just integrates into all these corrupt people's kind of like you know they're all just like consuming fancy champagne of food and they're just being horrible in the stuff that they're saying and this is like the president and the minister of justice and all these like super like you know this guy who clearly completely controls the media and this other business owner who's you know ridiculously rich and Johan He's just there and he's watching Garon, but he's part of it. You know, he's laughing along with them. He's saying awful things. And Garon is just so shocked. And I think us as viewers as also, this was a point where I was like, hang on. Like, I thought, I thought Johan was a good dude. Like, what is this? He's obviously so ingrained in this world. He's part of this awful, disgusting, you know, corrupt world. And, you know, one of his, his, the reason he's become a judge is he had like kind of a mentor who helped him and she's completely corrupt. So it's all very, very interesting. And I think it was that constant, like, like, I don't know, kind of whipping back and forth to trying to figure out who Johan is. And we're kind of on Garland's side the whole time as this young man is trying to figure it out and is also bonding with Johan and becoming friends and then sort of becoming part of Johan's like family unit, which is actually ends up being quite moving and sweet and confusing um so yeah I really really liked all that stuff um Garn also has you know like a childhood friend who he's grown up with who's been in love with him forever which is played by the actress Park Yu-yong so her name's Suhan and she's a detective so they just have a very sweet little you know side friendship going on and you know she's she's actually not in the drama a huge amount but she's you know a very important character to him um, and so meanwhile, Sona, who is played by the very charismatic Kim Min Jong in this drama. Um, so Sona is a secretary to this guy who's running this thing called the foundation. And the foundation is like, a, I'm going to butcher this word, philanthropy. Yes, I said it correctly. Philanthropy kind of 
company organization organization so i think they run on like donations from the people um plus obviously you know big donations from richie riches and they're building things um to try and help the economy help the poor like house the poor all this kind of stuff they are beloved by the people and therefore they are so powerful that they're there in all of the you know discussions with the president with what to do and how to do it. But we realized pretty quickly that the guy running the foundation is quite, he seems quite close to all these horrible corrupt people, including the horrible corrupt president. So it all feels a little bit nefarious. But Sona is, you know, this guy's secretary and she's sort of just hovering in the background. But then there's just these moments of where she'll go and she'll kind of threaten someone if they're not doing what the foundation wants. And, you know, she'll always be like, you know, it's not me. I'm just the messenger. But, you know, messenger, messenger messenger i'm just the messenger <laughs> but you know like fucking do this thing or something bad might happen to you kind of is basically what she's saying so she just has these moments of like being a little bit frightening and you're always wondering what's going on with her and then in the second half of the drama of course it's revealed that she's a fucking mastermind behind the whole thing and she's slowly risen up and basically taken over and she's actually running the show like very interesting character. And of course, um, you know, spoiler alerts, if all that wasn't already, which I'm sure it was, but Johan's whole, you know, his whole agenda is revenge. And it's rev it's not, I think it's quite interesting because it's not like his agenda is justice against these horrible, corrupt politicians and, you know, government workers. It's not that he wants to stop them being so corrupt exactly. It's more personal revenge at all costs, no matter what, by what unethical means, no matter who he hurts or manipulates along the way. To him, any cost is acceptable to reach his goal. And I think that's what makes him such an interesting and also complex and frightening kind of character. So very, very interesting stuff. And of course, you know, we find out more about Sona's backstory and what she wants. Um, she kind of reminds me of the Joker in that I'm not entirely sure what she wants other than I suppose to be rich and powerful. But also you never quite know what else she wants because she seems like so desperate sometimes. But it's like she doesn't even know quite what for. Um, very interesting character. Um, and then, of course, Gaon has his own, you know, sad backstory with his parents who've died when he was a teenager. And, and his own, I want to say, darker streak where he comes across some moments where the justice system doesn't really give him what he wants and what that sort of does to him. So, yeah, super, super interesting stuff and that's just such a vague outline like there's there's so much minutiae to the world building the characters and of course to each of the live court cases which are all very twisty turny and fascinating and I'm more of a detective person like when it comes to stories I really love crime solving and getting bad guys by watching detectives go out and like you know follow clues and stuff so like courtroom stuff isn't really my thing but these courtroom things you know it's all live televised in the show so it's very dramatic and it's exciting and it's very twisty and turny like you it really goes in directions that you do not expect that had me like what like really didn't see things coming so that's a lot of fun um all right so now i'm gonna stop doing that and get on to stuff that i loved about devil judge 
Okay, so stuff I loved. I feel like there was so much that I really, really loved about this show. Um, so let's see. I think the first thing that really, really struck me is just the way that this show looks. Like it looks bonkers incredible. Like that first episode and there's some other scenes that just was so exciting and cool. So like the, the very first opening episode, you know, I, I mentioned amazing music, this car driving through this dystopian landscape, but so stylish, so neon and incredible. And there's this other scene a couple of episodes later, which is kind of similar. And there's a car tra chase between, you know, two cool sports cars or whatever. And there's this fucking scene that just like, I was like, this looks like it's a freaking you know, high budget movie. This looks so good. And Devil Judge is chasing this, you know, rich, delinquent, horrible dude in his other sports car. And they're chasing like through the streets. And then suddenly they go through this long tunnel. And when they come out of the tunnel, this like, this music starts. And when they come out, they come out, it's like the whole camera tips upside down and they come out like, it sounds really like weird, but, you know, into this strange, terrifying, dystopian sort of neon, because it's at night, um, factory landscape with all these like neon lights pulsating and this smoke. But the whole screen is upside down as you're following like this car chase. So it's like it's through the sky above this you know, dystopian towers of this mad factory. And I was just like, that looks amazing it was so cool and there was quite a lot of that I feel like as the drama goes towards the end I have to say there's a lot more indoor shots there's a lot more kind of you know in offices or in the courtroom or in people's um you know richy rich little I don't know karaoke rooms I don't know what they were but there's still this sumptuousness I think to the way it's showing the world of the rich and the places that they're sort of hanging out in and stuff like that this opulence to it um and we spend a bit of time you know like in the blue house with the president and stuff and um so I really liked the way it looked even though I I feel like it looked amazing at for the first half and then you know gets gets more indoor shots towards the end but still so good um so the world itself I fucking loved it was so awesome uh so the next thing that I really really loved is the ideas behind the show there's these very meaty concepts and I think like social commentary for a lot of it that really had me thinking and I was kind of fascinated by the links between the stuff the show was saying to real life, like direct ones, you know, like the president stuff and the president's like, you know, online vlogging um, and his fans and the way he, you know, all this kind of stuff felt very scary and real. But then there was other sort of stuff that the drama was talking about that, felt like it could be real. Like it felt like, whoa, if that happened, that is the way that would be. And that really got to me as well. So the biggest one, of course, is just the the idea of a live court. Like it was terrifying to me, the idea of this and seeing how it progresses in the drama was terrifying in the way that the public reacts to it and its popularity and the power it has and what it does, but also it felt 
very possible like I didn't feel like the drama the drama was making like massive leaps in logic <laughs> I was like oh yes that is how that would go fucking gross so for instance um I guess it's this 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 uh so this idea of manipulating the public so you know, Gaon, our young judge, who's a bit idealistic, is all about, you know, justice is justice, whether it's justice in a normal court or on this live court. And a lot of the drama is Johan convincing Gaon that he's wrong. Justice in the live court, there is no justice. It's just a game and it's a show and it's entertainment. And all you have to do is manipulate through dramatics and emotion, the public into believing what you want them to believe. And then they're going to vote based on their emotion. And then you win the case because you made them feel what you wanted them to feel. You didn't show them the correct evidence. You made them emotionally feel what you wanted, meaning you manipulated them. And I was just like, that is so dark. But then He's right. And the more you watch of this show, the more you understand that Johan is 100% right. He fucking knows what he's doing in a scary way. And basically, the idea with the show is there's this app. I don't know why, but the app is called Dyke, D-I-K-E. And Johan, like, so all the people, you know, everyone has this app. And when the live show starts, you know, they get a notification and everyone looks at their phones or if they're out in the streets and there's one of those big mad screens nearby, they watch that. And of course, everyone tunes in. Of course they do. I was like, yeah, of course they would. This is like, you know, it's the first case I think is this, uh, Johan is kind of going against this very, very rich sort of delinquent young man who's, you know, very aggressive and he's assaulted a lot of people, but he's so rich that he gets away with it every single time. So obviously the people are interested. They want to know, will Johan bow to the pressure of, you know, the corrupt elite with money or will Johan do the right thing via the people and treat this man like any other young man who had been brought, you know, in for assault charges. Um, so there's a lot of public interest. And then Johan kind of announces that, you know, evidence has been given, you know, like the, the lawyers of lawyer and prosecutor have done their thing and said their piece. And who's the jury? You know, the jury is the people, like all of the people via this app. And so he he lets them vote. And that's what the live court is all about. It's letting the people hear the story and the evidence and then vote. And basically, Johan says that if the people vote this young, you know, and he's not a good dude, this young Chebo guy, like I didn't like him, but the vote is his punishment will be, I think it was like 100 floggings or 30 floggings or something like this, like floggings. And this is a world where people haven't been flogged since the Joseon dynasty, but he's like, hey, I'm I'm throwing this out there. Do the people want it? And of course the people want it. You know, they all press, yes, yes, we want to see this man flogged. We want to see that on live TV. And the thing that was so frightening to me about that was that felt realistic to me. Like I see the way people treat each other on the internet. There's this you know, this disconnect that when you're leaving a really mean comment, 
that you are saying that to another human being. You're not just saying it to the internet. But because of that facelessness, I think people act in a different way to how they'd act in real life. I think people are willing to say some awful things on the internet to people and about people that they would never say in real life if they were standing face to face ever. And to me, that felt so true that people would, you know, if all they had to do was press a yes or a no button, and if they press a yes button, they'll probably get to see a man flogged on TV live. I kind of feel pretty certain that the majority, and I know not everyone would, I know for sure, but like, I don't have confidence that the majority wouldn't pick yes. And particularly because all you have to do is press a button. You don't really feel like that's you. That's not your responsibility. That's not you who's making that happen. You know, the judge is making it happen. You're just, you're just pressing a button, you know? And it felt so scary to me. But then I loved the idea this show has, which is, well, what happens next? Of course, all the people say, yes, we want to see this dude get flogged. Of course they do. But what happens after that when they, you know, put a dude getting flogged on live TV? And so a lot of the people who voted yes are now seeing it in real life. Do they like it? Some of them don't, you know, like it's different to press a button than to see something happen in front of you and know that you are part of the reason why it happened. And later on in the drama, you know, the kind of team who were trying to help the or, you know, just another kind of player in the whole drama releases kind of like actually touched up photos of this young man's back that are made to look even worse than what it actually looks. It does look pretty bad anyway, but, you know, open oozing wounds and things like that. And of course, all these people who voted yes now faced with the reality of their choice are like, oh, this is terrible. I can't believe, you know, the judge did this. This is an outcry. This is terrible. And I loved that because that felt so true as well. Like this back and forth shifting so sudden and quick of the public opinion that we see now all the time in these, you know, Twitter storms where it's like it's one thing to be outraged about and then the very next second it's something else and the first thing's forgotten or, you know, it's it's so it felt so real to, I guess, this digital age of public opinion, if you know what I mean. And I thought I thought it was very, very interesting. And then there's even what does that all lead to? You know, there's no real answers in any of it. But then there's this scene where Garland's like hanging out. He goes for, you know, a meal in a little restaurant. He's walking down the street and he sees some little kids. There's three kids and one of the kids has like stolen something from the other one and won't give it back. And then he comes out of the restaurant later and he sees that the two girls are like, you know, they have the the little boy and he's like leaning against the wall and they're like, properly whipping him with like a little stick so it's not going to scar him it's not going to permanently hurt him but it is hurting him right now and he's a little boy and he's crying and you can't go up to these kids and be like this is unethical you shouldn't do that like that's no good because it's on live tv and the government is promoting it you know so the ideas in the show and just this look at complexity, I think, of, I don't know, of justice and of this digital age and what it all means and what it filters down. And they, I don't think there's any answers in the show. Like, it's not like 
they particularly ever say like this is wrong and this is right and I don't even think that they find that balance in the show which again I really liked because I don't think life is that easy that you can find that balance I don't think there's easy answers in huge questions and concepts like this um Johan is constantly you know, successfully indicting a criminal that the drama has really made you hate this criminal because they're a really bad person and what they've done is like absolutely abhorrent. But then he'll hand down his sentence and you're like, but that feels wrong as well. You know, I don't think execution by electric chair is the answer with like all the public pressing yes. And every time they press yes on their, you know, little app, this guy's getting an electric shock. Like, that's wrong. It's completely wrong. But also the guy who's sitting there getting electrocuted is a horrifying man. And it's just so complicated. And I loved how it made me think about this world, our world and myself. It was very interesting. I guess I should move on at some point, right? (laughs) So, uh, what else I loved was Johan himself, our devil judge. Like I said, fascinating. Is he good? Is he bad? Uh, What we do learn is that he is absolutely broken and damaged and he does not know where the line is and he wants what he wants, which is revenge, and he will manipulate anybody to get what he wants. But I am fascinated by how long this show kept me wondering about how far he would go. You know, there are points where the show will be like, he did this, and you'll be like, well, gosh, did he? Like, that that does feel like something he might do, even though it's so far over the line that it's really scary. Um, for instance, there's a point, so spoilery right now, if you haven't seen it, please don't listen to this at all. <laughs> but there's a point where, you know, Garn's, and I'll talk about this later, but his best friend and love gets murdered. And then Gaon is sort of told by a lot of people that Johan organized it to kind of manipulate Gaon. And Gaon believes it. And as a viewer, you're like, that seems like it's too far for Johan. But also, I know for a fact through watching the drama that Johan loves Gaon as a family member and would never physically hurt Gaon. But I don't have the same confidence that Johan wouldn't physically hurt someone close to Gaon to make Gaon do what he wants. And that is like, that's very interesting character work that in the last episode of the drama, I still didn't know what kind of man Johan is and what he might do. I thought that was really cool. Um, So he was amazing in, in all the live court you know, episodes or the little live court storylines. I'm a total wild card. I just could not see what he was going to do and how he would manipulate the public and the situation to his benefit. And I loved that. He was constantly getting out of scrapes. And I was like, I have no idea how he's going to do this. Um, I really like the way that he does manipulate Gaon quite a lot to use him. I think that was really interesting. Um, there was this amazing scene. So it's really weird. Gaon kind of like saves Johan from like, I don't know, an explosion in the devil court, in the courtroom, uh, which is an assassination attempt. And he gets a little bit hurt. And when he wakes up, he's in Johan's big gothic mansion with his little niece. And Garland's like, what am I doing here? And Johan's like, well, you're a bit ill or whatever, so you can just stay here till you get better. Um, and then they sort of manipulate that he's much you know, worse hurt than what he was um, so that Johan can, you know, 
just get some public pity for the assassination attempt, basically by saying, you know, my colleague got really hurt. And so Garn stays on in this gothic mansion for quite a while. And then he gets better and he just keeps living there forever. And I'm like, Garn, go home. This isn't your house. <laughs> but anyway, and particularly because he's literally decides to stay there because he's trying to investigate Johan. He's like poking around the house. And I'm like, I don't understand why Johan is okay with this. Like, why doesn't he just tell this guy to get out? <laughs> they have like the most awful fights and then Garn will stomp off, but he'll just go back to his room upstairs. <laughs> it's really funny. But anyway, it's this amazing scene. So Johan's whole backstory is like there was a fire in this church. All these rich, corrupt people were present and Johan's older brother and his brother's wife both die and his niece survives and Johan survives. And this has happened like, I don't know how many years earlier, like 17 years, 15 years, whatever it is. Um, and Johan is, everyone sort of has this thing where they're like, did he do it? Like, did he set that fire? Did he murder his brother? Because everyone knows that Johan's older brother was about to give a lot of money to, you know, the foundation, which is that philanthropic organization that exists. And as soon as the fire happened, he withdrew it. And he decided not to give over the money. And also he obviously gained all his older brother's assets. So Gaon is like, I don't know, he, he hears this story and he runs straight up to Johan in the house and he's yelling, he's like, did you murder your brother? Did you do this? And he's such a bad guy. And then Johan's like, fuck no, I didn't. And here's the true story. So he tells like this really sad backstory about how, you know, he just turned up. The fucking church was on fire. He ran in there. He saved his niece and all the horrible rich people had been crawling all over the niece. And um, I think broke her spine by crawling all over her. And now she's in a wheelchair. So it's very fucked. It's a sob story. And then you feel really sorry for him you're like whoa that's so dark and awful and sad and then Gawain walks off and Johan's kind of like yeah I knew that would get him off my back like and you're like I was like whoa it's like he told Gawain that story specifically to make sure that Gawain would feel sorry for him it doesn't mean the story isn't true but he chose to tell it for a reason and that reason was manipulation and that is the kind of character that Johan is that I found fascinating like really interesting he will use anything and everything including like himself and his own sob story and it's like it is true it does make him really upset and cry when he tells that story but he's not just gonna offer that for free like he wants something in return and that was very interesting uh so what else um sona sona for me like she's so this is kim min jong's character she's bonkers like she is I want to say batshit crazy in this drama. <laughs> she's kind of evil. She's definitely a villain. Like she's an antagonist. The stuff she does is bad. She kills people. She's no good. You kind of hate her. But I also feel that I loved when she was on screen. She was just like very cool, but also evil. Like, I think one of those characters that you kind of love to hate. And I thought as an antagonist in this, you know, huge, crazy world that they've created, she was very good. She's very unpredictable. She's very terrifying, but she is so damaged and needy and desperate that it makes her even more, I think, of a wild card. Because like I said, it's that whole Joker thing where you're like, I really don't quite know what she wants. And she's completely obsessed slash in love with Johan. 
because they, you know, have a childhood thing or whatever. And this this thing of her loving him is kind of like Gu Dong Mei, actually. Like there's this destructive element in it where she's kind of like she wants something from Johan, but like if he gives it to her, she's not going to believe that it's real. So there's no hope there ever. And I don't even know what it is that she wants from him, but she's desperate for it. And I feel like she will literally go and carve out his heart with a knife if it means she can have his heart. So there's this really scary thing of like, it it's not going to help him that she's in love with him. Like it's actually going to make things much worse. And I don't know what she's going to do. <laughs> so fucking fat, like really fascinating, but also kind of fun and very evil. I really liked it. Uh, so oh, there was this amazing scene. Like when you, at first you think, like she's very put together, you know, she's wearing these amazing clothes and she's sort of like doing all these battle of wills with, you know, all these other people on behalf of her foundation leader. And then it gets to this point where halfway through the drama, you start realizing that she's not all that she seems and she's, she, there's something pretty scary going on below the surface. And one of the scenes for me that really stood out is when she goes to see this, it's like, it's something the foundation that, you know, she's secretary of or whatever, or second in charge of has set up for, I think, homeless young women. And she goes there to give a speech to these young women. And the director of this particular institute kind of is walking her and she's like, oh, you know, to Sona, this this woman who's in charge is like, oh, you know, all these girls are good for nothing, you know, like, oh, if we can, you know, make them useful for society or, you know, just some really derogatory kind of shit, she says. And Sona is just like... And this is when you find out that she's from, you know, she's from a poor background. She's had a tough childhood. Um, she actually used to be a maid when she was 12 years old in Johan's gothic mansion. Um, and she goes in there and she gives this speech to these girls that is like, it's not the kind of speech that anyone should be giving in this situation. And she's basically, you know, talking about her very drunk mother and who treated her very badly. And, you know, what was that love? And then kind of is talking about how mother fell down the stairs and like, it's so erratic, this stuff that she says, but it's also like, She's kind of giving this pep talk to the girls about like, you know, if there's something you want, you you fucking take it. It's very interesting and I really liked it. It was um just it felt like such a peeling back of her character and I was like, "Oh, okay. She, she's not quite what I thought she was." Um I also really loved how she kind of gets involved in the live court and she starts manipulating um very subtly, I think, uh the the female judge young woman jinju so jinju is i said she's from quite a you know a poor background she's worked really hard she's come up and she's so happy to be in the court she feels like this is the culmination of all her hard work but then sona turns up and is kind of like you know you're so much better than those other two and why aren't there any women on the walls and you know all these portraits of old judges all old men like where are the women and you know don't you think that you are you know capable and powerful enough of you know being what the public really wants instead of Johan so obviously she's trying to create you know a puppet judge basically and it's really interesting and Sona says something about like you know I think it's like Jinju like about her I can't remember the exact wording but something about her like 
sparkling like don't you want to you know sparkle or something like this and it really gets under Jinju's skin and she thinks about it and she almost kind of goes on this very dark path of accepting sort of help from some of the scary corrupted dudes and she she's pretty good like I feel like she pulls back and then because of that she kind of ends up helping like Gaon and Johan even though I don't know if Johan he's pretty bad himself but you know she kind of does the right thing in this situation and it's all televised and Sona kind of thought that I guess Jinju was more under the, her thumb than she was and there's this moment where Sona's watching it on TV and she realizes that Jinju's you know her own woman making her own decisions and Sona can't really touch her anymore and Sona just watches it and she's smiling and she's like huh you know like I don't know how she says it but something about like you know that woman's sparkling now and I thought that was I really liked it I thought it was so cool and it made me very interested in Sona because she's like she's lost that was just a little minor battle it was very small in the great scheme of this show but she lost and yet she's not you know, chucking a hissy fit and throwing things around the room. She's recognizing the strength in this other woman who chose to go her own way. And I just thought, again, interesting. Um, so what else have I got? Um, so I love this whole section where Johan kind of offers to join hands with Sona. It's kind of like, come over to our side. Let's work together to take down all these baddies. And just, I don't know, there's all these moments in all these scenes where Johan is kind of he's sort of saying, you know, like, I like you because you're as broken as me. And as a viewer, you're like, yeah, yeah, they are. That's true. And you kind of get to a point where you're like, maybe Sona could, you know, she's not, I feel like she is not healthy in her mind. Like she's very, very damaged. She's been through extreme trauma in her childhood and potentially like sexual abuse stuff as well. I think with the foundation leader, who is a puppet, who she murders, with by stabbing up a lot so like there's a lot going on with her but in this point you're like maybe if she received some help and was you know able to be on Johan's side and they could help each other maybe they could get over these things these traumas that have happened to them both that have turned them into such destructive human beings and of course it doesn't go that way because she can't trust him you know so she betrays him because she just doesn't believe that he's real and he's not manipulating her and frankly I think he is manipulating her so she's probably right but I still really liked it I liked those moments of like what if and connection between them it was really interesting um so yeah I felt like she really kind of stole the show a bit for me um which is a lot considering how many interesting characters there are but she was crazy <laughs> um so like I said, I did really like Gaon um, a lot. He's just very warm and nice, but he probably wasn't as compelling for me as Sona and um, Johan. Uh, but I did really, really like this whole backstory with, you know, the guy who basically stole, I think in a pyramid scheme, all this, was it a pyramid scheme? Anyway, whatever it was, all this huge amount of money, life savings from his parents, his dad, I think killed himself and his mother just died soon after. Like, I don't know, she just gave up and she passed away. Um, and he hates this guy, but he believes that the justice system has put him in jail for life. And Johan brings Garland down to the jail and is like, we're here to visit, you know, this horrible criminal who ruined your life. And Garland is freaking out. But then when this guy, and he doesn't want to be there, he's so angry that he's been brought there against his, you know, knowledge. And when the guards bring out the prisoner, it's just a different man. It's a completely different man. And, you know, Garland and Johan go out into the prison yard and Garland just 
freaks out. Um, like he can't breathe. He's like on his knees and he's screaming and stuff. And I was just like, I don't know. I thought that the actor Jin Yong did such a good job in this scene. Like it really kind of, it got inside my heart. I felt so sad for him, but I thought it just felt like such a, like overwhelming, like, he, you know, you could see how overwhelmed this person was with this news. He didn't even know how to deal with it. And it's all just like leaking out. And it felt very like, like a, a possible true reaction. Like it felt very authentic, I think, to something like that. So I don't know. I just thought it was a really cool scene and I thought he did really well. Um, so the last thing that I just loved, I think, potentially one of my most favorite things was this woman, the minister of justice, like this actress, um, her name is Jung Yong Nam and she is in loads of shit. Like I've seen her in like historicals playing the mom in loads of stuff. Um, she is amazing. Like I just found her riveting. I found her character so interesting and her character's storyline was probably, the one sort of through storyline that had me on the edge of my seat the most, it was so interesting. So she's a minister of justice. She's part of this really corrupt crew. And she's also, realistically, she's been Johan's mentor. She has helped Johan become the live court judge. And so it's very odd then when the very first sort of criminal case that Johan decides to put before the court and live televise is a case against the Minister of Justice's son, who is, you know, the horrible, assaulting Chebol guy who gets flogged. So it immediately like puts these two, she's so confused. She's like, how could he do this? This is insane. But then he's kind of like, you know, don't worry about it. I'll sort it out on the live court. But of course he doesn't. And he sends her son to get flogged. And so she's suddenly in this position, like she's in a position of great power. She's sort of tapped on the shoulder to be the next president. That's where everyone thinks she's going. And that's certainly her aspirations. And she's just a cool, like such a cool looking woman, like so put together and quite, I don't know, like, you know, she's just wearing like business suits and shit like that, but she just looks so badass the whole time. I was just like, whoa, like she's so cool. <laughs> but she's also really bad. So again, she's a villain and I loved her villainousness. <laughs> um, so, you know, the minister of justice now has to decide, does she maintain her image in her job as the future hopeful president? Uh, or does she, you know, be a mother to her son and try and protect him from this, this awful thing that's about to happen to him where, you know, he's now at home crying and being like, ah, save me, mum. And so she says she'll save him, but then instead she has a press conference and she like, you know, she plays the sad mother who's failed her son. And then she's like, but, you know, I believe in justice and he deserves to get flogged. This is the right thing to do. So, you know, the people all think she's incredible and she keeps her popularity and she keeps her job, but she sacrifices her son and her family. And I really was interested in the whole family dynamics there. You know, she has a husband who, I don't know if he's a house husband, but he's like, he seems very nice and sweet while she is just like a razor shark. She's super scary. Um, and she's obviously, you know, like the boss in the house, but she was amazing. I really loved it. Um, so there's this amazing scene where there's all these other women who are sort of like the rich, corrupt guys, wives, and they're just in it every now and then. And they basically just, I don't know, generally really awful and rich and opulent. But there's this scene where Sona is sort of entertaining them in like what looks like a very, you know, 
ritzy, fancy, but quite seedy looking like room, I suppose, like a hostess bar, except instead of hostesses, there's all these like young, hot um, actor hopefuls, like these young dudes who are hanging out with these women. And Sona has obviously organized like this. Yeah, it's, it's all really complicated, but basically these really rich women uh, you know, about to lose all this stuff. I think lose heaps of money. It's all really bad. And so at first they're having a great time, but then the minister of justice comes in and she just like swans in and she's there to save them from, you know, this demise of whatever they're about to lose all this money. And this scene was like, I don't know why I thought it was so cool. But I like, I loved it. It was one of my favorites. And the minister of justice, she just like, I don't know. She fucking swaggers into that room. There's cool music. It's all slow-mo. And all the other women are just like, you know, bowing down to her practically. And they all like scatter out of her way. And she sits on the couch like real cool and like leans back. And then she has this mad massive cigar and like all the hot model boys are like trying to light it for her all at the same time. It's like, (laughs) I don't know why it was so cool. I think it's just one of those scenes that... Maybe it's more um, usually, you know, usually the the dudes that are swagging around being these cool, evil, you know, mastermind bad dudes with like cigars and just she's just so super cool looking and, you know, like kind of hot, really. I think she looked kind of hot. (laughs) She's just beautiful. And it was just such a cool moment. I really, really, really enjoyed it. I don't know why, but um. I did. I liked the slow-mo and I liked all the boys trying to light her cigar while she was like clearly uninterested in anything. (laughs) It was very fun. So that was it. Um, I've written down at the end. I feel like she owned the screen. Actually, that wasn't it. Um, I love the rest of her storyline as well. Um, I forgot to say, so basically, you know, Johan and Gaon, their whole agenda is to separate the Minister of Justice from the rest of the corrupt baddies because they think that she holds a lot of the other's secrets and if they can isolate her and squeeze her enough by, you know, throwing scandal after scandal at her and basically disrupting her existence, destroying her life, making her on the edge of losing her job, that she will come to them for help and then in exchange for them saving her, you know, from going to jail forever, um, they will get all her secrets. And with those secrets, they can then take down the rest of the people in this corrupt circle. But instead, the Minister of Justice shoots herself in the head in her office. And it was like, for me, I was like, fuck, like it was one of those real like end of episode, like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. And the scariest thing about it for me is that Gaon and Johan caused that woman to die like they hounded her to the very edge until she was so cornered that she saw no other exit other than to die so they are 100% like she's not a good person she's a villain like she's bad she's corrupt she's terrible but they are the reason that she's dead and there's this scene where they you know they come into the office they're the first ones to find her and there's blood everywhere And Garon is straight, like, down to where her body's lying. And they're looking for, like, all the secrets on a USB. And he starts just, like, pouring, pouring, you know, like a cat's paw. That's what I meant, not, like, pouring, like, a water. Anyway, what am I saying? (laughs) So he starts, like, pouring at her, like, pockets and, like, going through all her pockets and her suit and everything. And she's dead and she's, like, rolling around her body and he's got blood on his hands and he's trying to find it. And I was like, maybe even for a second, Johan looked kind of shocked because, like, this is Gaon, who's the idealistic sweet one. And look what he's doing. Like, 
she's kind of dead because of him and there's no remorse. Like he's sort of turning into Johan, um, who's like the ends justifies the means. And that's not the kind of person Gawain is. And of course, at that moment, Gawain's best friend, um, the detective Suhan, walks in and sees him and is just like horrified that he's there, but that they, he's touched a dead body, that he's tampered with the scene, that you know, she doesn't even know that he caused it. Um, so for me, that was one of, I think it was one of the best twists in the whole show was all that stuff. I just loved it. I couldn't see where it was going. It felt so high stakes and I was so excited by I wasn't excited that she died. That's not what I meant. But like in terms of storytelling, it was so good. And I felt like the whole twists and turns in the Minister of Justice's whole storyline actually reminded me of the way that um, Watcher was written, which is, um, you know, I've got I've got an episode on it and I've talked about it a lot because I loved it. But uh, the 2019 um, kind of uh, police procedural corruption kind of show uh like a gritty ocn drama with so kung jun and dr romantic himself in it and i fucking loved that show the writing in it was bonkers good like i feel like it was amazing and that's what this whole storyline reminded me of so i think that's pretty high praise for me because watches the best drama in the whole world <laughs> all right that's probably enough that's well enough of all the stuff that i loved stuff that I didn't love quite so much about Devil Judge. Um, so I've written, what have I written? <laughs> um, oh, so I was kind of talking before and stuff that I did love that I loved the whole, I guess the setup of this Minister of Justice's death and what that then says about Gaon, I think, you know, changing from this idealistic young man into the kind of guy who would not even feel anything when he came across the body of a dead woman who had a family, she might not have been a good person, but, you know, some people are going to grieve her loss and she's still a dead woman lying down in front of him. And the fact that he went through her pockets and he had no like regard or respect at all, but also what does that mean that he's morphing into Johan who that whole, like the, the ends justify the means kind of thing. And I was so excited for that setup. I was like, I am so interested, particularly when, you know, lovely, nice, straightforward and very, you know, clear cut, right and wrong uh, best friend, the detective Suhan, when she comes in and catches him and sees this, like she's so horrified. Her trust in him is like broken. And because of him, she has to kind of tamper with a um, crime scene to pretend that he wasn't there to protect him. And she's like... I can't believe that you made me do that. That is so against her ethics, but of course she's going to protect him. So I loved that whole setup. I thought it was really clever and I was waiting for the payoff. And there is one good scene where he goes to see Suhan and he's crying and she's basically like, fuck off. I never want to see you again. I don't even know who you are anymore. And I loved it. And I wanted way more of his struggle between what he was becoming and what he used to be, but his lack of belief in the things he used to believe in have mean that he can't go back. Like he can't go back to the way he was, but does he really want to keep walking down the path that he's walking? And that I think was the inner conflict that I wanted to see the most from Garland's character as the idealistic young one in the drama who hasn't gone as far as the other ones yet. And I wanted that so badly. And I feel like that's that, 
that amazing setup that should have had a payoff that was satisfying in that just in that exploration of Garland's like inner world I feel like that sort of fizzled and I feel like I didn't fully get that I think that's because we were kind of closer to the drama's end. There was a lot more to do. Obviously, Suhan gets shot. So that's like what he's dealing with emotionally instead of, you know, what path he should be walking down. But I did kind of feel like that. It almost felt like a missed beat to me of something that felt so integral to the story that almost kind of I felt like it got skipped. And then the drama focused more on does Garland trust Johan or not? Does he believe in Johan or not? So, you know, Garland's kind of led to believe that Johan might have been involved in killing Suhan. And that even though that conflict's very interesting, I am very interested in can Garland fully trust Johan or not? It still wasn't the biggest question that I wanted to explore around his character. I really wanted to know how he felt about the kind of person that he was becoming and and was there guilt around the fact that this woman did die because of his actions. Um, But it was just, yeah, it was whatever. It wasn't really looked into, which is fine. Um, So I really hated Suyon's death. It was actually, she's not in the drama a whole heap, but it was really sad because of, she's nice, you like her. And it was extremely unexpected. I really did not see that coming. Um, and also because of how how Garland is afterwards. You know, they've grown up together. She is basically his sort of moral compass. She's kept him on track his entire life. And now she's dead. And he was in love with her. And I just, I don't know how he's ever going to be able to connect with someone in that way again like their friendship and history was so deep I just don't know so I you feel so sad for him because I don't understand how quite how he's going to survive it um so yeah that was really sad um I'll also say I didn't totally love this this scene towards the end where there's like you know the foundation it turns out is has these like evil sort of camps where they're bringing um you know all these people from the slums and infecting them with vi- uh, viruses and all this like really crazy shit. And I didn't love this scene where, you know, our evil Sona, you know, Kim Min Jong's character, um, who's now the director of the foundation sort of goes there and she sees this young woman from that, like, you know, homeless girls Institute thing there infected with the, with this virus. And she, she cries and she's like, what have I done? And I was like, Sona, you're, you're, you've done bad shit like I just don't know if I fully I was fully on board with this sudden turnaround of realizing she'd gone too far this time and I'm like as if you didn't know and also I just don't know if she's the kind of person that would like she might have a little bit of remorse but I don't think it would be like that exactly but anyway Maybe that was just me. Uh, I do feel that towards the end of this drama, um, I felt that it went a little bit muckjug. Like it felt like a lot of things happening, like bombs strapped to people, last minute flying saves of stopping bomb going off within the last second, um, you know, explosions, secret tunnels, um, screaming people lots of shooting it, it just felt like it felt like I was watching like penthouse or something not that I have watched penthouse and I'm not dissing penthouse because I love I actually kind of love Mac Jung uh Mac Jung I do enjoy that kind of melodrama stuff but I think I probably wasn't expecting it to get so bombastic towards the end because I do feel like the start of this show 
feels a little bit more considered and a little bit more rooted in like real world sort of social uh, like commentary, I suppose, whilst I think towards the end it started veering more into like super heightened reality, like this world is not our world and I'm not sure how relevant all of these things that are happening are. In saying that, it's still pretty fun, like it's fun, but I don't think it was making me think about things in such an intense way as I was at the start. It sort of more devolved into like just utter bonkers craziness that was quite fun to watch. Uh, and by fun, I mean people were getting shot left, right and centre. <laughs> I don't know why that's fun, but I guess it is. Um, so what else? I've written something here. Ah, oh, the president. The president is a weird one because he's such like he just the voice on this man it's so intense it's like it's it's kind of like if you have a dial from one to ten this guy was at 1000 and his voice was just breaking all over the all over the shop because he was at dialed to 1000 at every moment he was a lot and a kind of like it's kind of too much but then at the same time you think about someone like donald trump and you're like is it a lot is it is it too much? I don't know. So I can't say I loved him, but I don't know if there was anything wrong with the way that the drama portrayed him either, if that makes sense. I feel like he was, I don't know if I loved seeing him screaming and shouting, but at the same time, maybe it sort of worked. I really don't know. That's kind of confusing. Uh, so... Oh, there was a weird scene. This is so small, but I was like, that's weird. There's a weird scene where there's this like actor who's a rapist who's in the court, you know, the live court and they're, you know, Johan's trying to figure out what to do. And it's very cool. He gets kind of put into a corner with what his choices are and, and he's sort of set to kind of disappoint the public either way. But then, of course, you know, he kind of pulls something out last minute and saves the day. But then it's kind of weird. He Like they send this guy off to an American prison and then they show this weird video of all these like American prisoners kind of being like, ooh, hello. And I was like, that's odd and also weird and felt a bit derogatory. And I'm just a little bit icky. And I was like, mm, all right. Uh, it was only like one second. So I guess, <laughs> I guess we'll just, I'm just going to like, just wave over that and not worry about it. Yeah. So I think that's kind of it though. I don't think there's anything else. I'm just going to talk very briefly on the end and then I'm going to go away. Leave you guys be. <laughs> okay. So I'll just talk very quickly about the end of Devil Judge. Um, there's a big reveal at the end, you know, the whole drama a lot of people are trying to find out the truth about Johan's past and what really happened when this fire killed his older brother um, and, you know, destroyed his reputation and whatever. Um, I really, really enjoyed the reveal of what really happened. And I loved seeing Johan. It's the point where you realize how much he loves his niece, how how much he's been trying to do for her and the whole thing of the way he styled himself, his whole life, what he's done really has been to protect his niece from the truth. And the truth is that as a very tiny girl, I don't know how old she is. I can't tell how old small children are. Six, five, two, ten. I don't know. I think she's like six. We'll go with that. 
very cute and very small. Uh, she was playing in a room in the church with a small teddy with a lot of live candles. I feel like this wasn't her fault. Why are there so many live candles in this room? And why is this this child unattended in a live candle room? It's probably actually Johan's fault because he saw she was in there and then he walked off. Anyway, this little girl makes a little candle fall over accidentally. She doesn't realize it, but it gets captured on CCTV and a curtain goes up and then the whole church goes up and she gets crushed by the minister of justice and her parents both die. And Johan does not want her to know or ever think that she did this, that it was her fault. By the way, I forgot to mention that the niece, um, I can't see her little face on my cast list. Um, she was great. I really liked her. The actress was great. Uh, so the actress's name, I found her, John Teon. Um, so I don't think she was familiar to me, but I really, really liked her. I thought that, um, she was great. She was a great character and the actress was great as well. Um, so yeah, I really liked that. I thought that was a really good reveal. And I feel that, you know, it's teased so much throughout the whole drama. Like, what's the truth? What's the truth behind it? Did he do it? Did he not do it? And it was very unexpected what the truth was. And I found it to be a very satisfying conclusion, um, probably in a way that I didn't really expect it to be so satisfying. Cause I was like, what, what could there be there? That's so interesting. Um, so that was done really well. I think really good writing. Um, so it was pretty bonkers and melodramatic, but I really quite enjoyed the the final kind of blowout scene, which is in the live court. All the baddies are locked in there. There's like 20 bombs in there. Uh, Johan's standing there in his little court dress outfit and, you know, uh, Sona's got a gun and is pointing it around and she shoots the president in the head and then she's about to shoot Johan. And I really enjoyed it. There's this moment that I thought was really good where Johan, you know, the whole thing is is basically he's going to die along with them. And I thought that was very interesting around his character because he's been so single-mindedly doing whatever he has to do to bring these people down. And now he's at this point where he's allowing the public to kind of vote. And he's like, if they reach 10 million like votes, uh, the whole life court will blow up and everyone will die. And it's 10 million because that's how many people voted that president in. So he's like, if it reaches you know that and more than that, then they'll all die. And the public just think that they're voting for all these corrupt officials to die, which is completely seems very illegal. But anyway, they all do it anyway. And of course they would. <laughs> and But then Johan also slips into the room and locks the doors behind him. And it's not true because he does have an escape plan. But at this point, you don't realize that. And I really liked the idea that he understands that he's part of this same problem. <laughs> you know, he is. He's not a good dude. He's gone too far. Um, and I kind of liked that he included himself in it. And then, you know, Yonha's holding a gun up to him and he looks at her and he's like, you know, let's go together. And the look on her face, like you feel like this is what she's been waiting for all along. It's like this... I don't know, love and almost relief, like this moment of receiving the love that she's been so desperate for. But because she's so twisted, it's, you know, this is what's satisfying to her. I just don't know. And then she shoots herself in the head, which is, I was actually quite sad about it because I really liked her, even though she was very bad. She was very, very bad. But I really, I did like that last scene. Uh, so then, you know, Mr. Johan, Johan, uh, crawls out through a little secret Johan shoot. <laughs> 
and uh, goes home and then, you know, takes off and brings his little niece overseas um, to a rehabilitation centre where she's going to learn to walk again. And I was like, you should have done that a while ago, mate. <laughs> Not now. <laughs> but I guess he's done what he needed to do. So I'm kind of glad he survived because I liked him. Also, I think he's a very erratic, reckless human being and I'm a little bit scared of what he's going to get up to in the future. Um, I feel like he's the kind of dude that, you know, he'll be in Europe or wherever they go and he'll be like driving the car and someone will like cut him off without indicating and then he'll get out and he'll, I don't know, kill them, revenge them, blow them up. (laughs) He's a little bit of a scary dude. But also I liked him a lot, so I am glad that he lived. I'm also, I think I'm glad that he lived for Garland's sake because Garland loses his mentor. Turns out his mentor's, you know, just as corrupt as everyone else. Uh, He loses Suhan, his best friend dies. So he's very alone at the end of the show. And I feel like the fact that Johan lives, even if Garland doesn't get to see him or Johan's niece again, like at least he knows they're okay. And I feel like that might be enough to keep this poor man going who's had such a hard time all right so that's it that's the end so I'm trying to end these now with like what did I like the least what did I like the most so least I couldn't think of anything I was like what do I like the least about this show I don't think there was anything specific that I particularly liked the least I mean I've mentioned stuff I didn't love but yeah I really couldn't think of anything major um so the thing that I liked the most was was the ladies um it really was the minister of justice and sonar were fantastic villains. Like I just fucking loved them. I thought they were so interesting. And the Minister of Justice particularly was very, very cool, um, which is weird because she's a terrible criminal. <laughs> but I was like, I think I'd watch a like a gritty crime drama following this woman as the main character. This is, this is really good. Also, I liked the fact that this was my first G-Song drama ever, and he's very pretty. Like he's he's very cheekbony and tiny those tiny little tulip lips. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing, but they suit him. He looks very guy guys. Try to say good and nice, but I said something else. I think that means that it's time for me to leave. So I'm going to do that. So that's all I've got to say on Devil Judge, which is the 2021 dis Topian thriller 16 episode um, K drama. All right. Thank you for listening. Bye. me to the end of this week's episode thank you so much for listening to this podcast show thank you for tuning in every week humongous thank you to those people who've decided to support the show and me on patreon you guys are the absolute best thank you so much it really really means a lot to me and um, really helps encourage me to continue sinking my time into this show thank you guys so very much i appreciate you uh, and to everyone who listens I love you all. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Next week, uh, I'll be back for more more drama talk. That's for sure. Um, See you then, but not see you because this is a podcast. I'm going to (laughs) go. Bye.